0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Don't Call It Soccer podcast. I'm your host, Austin Miller, filling in for the currently deposed Jesse Loesch, whose internet was simply not cooperating on the evening. You might recognize me from the South American Football Show or the Copa Libertadores Pass pods. I have migrated north, at least for the evening, to my geographical home to uh, make an appearance on this show hosting. Happy to be here. Uh, We'll be breaking down the United States men's national team's last two World Cup qualifiers in the hexagonal in CONCACAF, as well as taking a look at what should be a really interesting final pair of match days. Uh, Joined on the panel this week by Amit Malik. Amit, not the results the U.S. men's national team were looking for, uh, but I hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing great. You know, the international break
1: gave me some time not to worry about Tottenham, uh, not to worry too much about the union, who are really bad. But uh, the U.S. didn't really help me out with some good results.
0: Well, see, the good thing for you, Amit, is that over this international break, being a Tottenham fan, the calendar did shift to August to September.
1: Harry so, Kane scored on yes, September
0: 1st. Yes, so Harry Kane is actually legally allowed to score, start scoring goals again. So as a yeah, Tottenham much fan, it, at least something good came out of it, right? Exactly. Also joining me on this week's show uh, from down in Texas is Preston Weatherington. Preston, I know you've had a lot of crazy weather down there. I hope that you are doing all right and that you did get a chance to take part in some of the international break this weekend.
2: Yeah, man. The, the day job has kept me very busy with uh, what I do. We're, uh, we've been very involved with the with the relief efforts uh, down with Hurricane Harvey. Thankfully, I'm in an area that did not get affected by the hurricane, but uh, the day job has kept me incredibly busy, and uh, our our main focus has been with Harvey. But thankfully, I've been able to watch, be able to watch some of the international break and catch the U.S. games. And I will say that uh, that this whole hurricane situation uh, was a little bit of a nice distraction away from SC Dallas' own hurricane that's going on.
0: Well, it's very good to have you on. Very glad to hear that you were doing all right. Well, guys, let's get straight into it, and let's start with... Maybe how the match went is not a terribly surprising result, but maybe on paper was the United States taking on Costa Rica in Harrison, New Jersey. Costa Rica 2-0 winners, a brace from San Jose Earthquakes man Ureña. He scored early on about a half an hour into this match and then finished it off in the 82nd minute. 2-0 for the Costa Ricans. That combined with their draw against Mexico last night on Tuesday, has them just about all the way to Russia. They could still theoretically be caught, but it would take a Herculean effort from somebody else in an absolutely massive collapse. So Costa Rica can just about book their tickets to the World Cup. And Amit, I'll start with you on this match. This whole match just felt a little bit surreal for the United States. A home World Cup qualifier where a mass of Costa Rican fans were in the stadium. Uh, the U.S. was getting olayed by the end of this match. It just didn't seem like they were at the races. They conceded early and then really struggled to break Costa Rica down. Kaylor Navas, I thought, was particularly good in goal for Costa Rica. And then Ureña, of course, was able to kill this off late. It's just a really, really intriguing match on both sides and a result that the U.S. will no doubt not be particularly pleased with.
1: I think heading into the match, uh, there was a lot of maybe unfounded optimism that, oh, USA, they're surely going to qualify the chances are great. Everything is fine. You know, uh, Arena's got the job done. And coming after that Gold Cup uh, win, you know, there was there was some reason to be optimistic. And U.S. beat Costa Rica in America in that semifinal 2-0. So why couldn't they do it again? But remember, Costa Rica gave U.S. really that last game of Klinsman's tenure, that 4-0 loss. Costa Rica is... You know, outside of Mexico, as solid as a team as USA is going to face in CONCACAF, and they showed their expertise. You know, uh, USA 1.5 and Costa Rica right around eight, but it just shows clinical finishing on the road, really committed defending, and great goalkeeping from Navas is really a lesson in how to play on the road in CONCACAF. And the U.S., you know, I hope they learned it. They were they were really outclassed, even though they
0: they had their chances. Preston, maybe the biggest question mark coming out of this match for the United States, and we'll talk in a bit how they answered that heading into Honduras, was the back line. The back line of Viafanya at left back, Tim Ream in center defense alongside the Stoke City man, Jeff Cameron, and Graham Zusi as kind of the makeshift right back with Howard in goal. They did not cover themselves in glory on this night. They were picked apart for both goals. And maybe with a better backline performance, the U.S. salvages a point from this match or maybe even comes out one no winners. But because their backline was so poor, at the end of the night, they found themselves 2-0 down.
2: Yeah, not at all. I mean, uh, the backline was in total shambles, in my opinion. As experienced of a goalkeeper as Tim Howard is, he should be the one that should be commanding his backline and giving instructions from the back. And uh, if you look right before the first goal, Tim Ream and... Uh, Jeff Cameron, they were probably a good 30, 40 yards apart from each other uh, before Urania made, made that, made that through, made that through run. Uh, So there was literally no coverage. And really the closest person to him was Michael Bradley, who was still a good distance away from Urania. Uh, So, you know, I, I still call into question why Tim Ream keeps getting called up into this into this roster and can keeps on getting playing time whenever in my opinion there are there are better center backs I mean I feel like that with as tough as Costa Rica is uh, having Jeff Cameron and Omar Gonzalez would have probably been a, a better center back pairing and probably a pairing that has played more together who knows how to work who knows how to work well with each other yeah
1: I agree with you Preston that Tim Ream selection has been puzzling You know, I think part of it is his European pedigree. And I do, I want to add on that goal. First of all, you're 100% right that spacing was off completely. But Tim Howard also, I know they mentioned this a bit on the broadcast, when he stepped up to take that ball, there was no need for him to just, just launch it aimlessly. I don't think he hit it far enough. And we know we have that surgically repaired knee. And it's clear his kicks have suffered a little bit. You know, maybe he could have stepped up into that space. No one was pressuring him. And then also I did think he – it was a poor angle to be beaten on from his point of view. But adding to that, I think this shows what happens when John Brooks is out for the U.S., you know? Gonzalez and uh, Matt Beasler certainly are capable uh, villains, and I would have liked to see them maybe over Ream. But the U.S. certainly is struggling with some depth back there, especially without Yedlin, too. Graham Zusi was poor, I thought, in both games we saw from the U.S. this weekend – so that back line needs to be solved. That needs to be taken care of quickly, and it's hard when you don't have time to build that chemistry. That was Reem and Cameron's first start together. It, it's really not surprising to me that they looked so out of shape.
2: With the inexperience between the two, uh, Michael Bradley is your captain. He's the anchor of that midfield. He should be whenever there is whenever whenever the United States is on the defense. Bradley probably should be dropping back more to provide coverage, for, especially for Zusi, who's naturally a midfielder that likes to go forward. Uh, so there's probably not as much of a surprise that Jeff Cameron does have to shift out wide to provide that coverage. So Michael Bradley should be shifting back to cover for uh, Jeff Cameron, who's covering Graham Zusi.
0: And Preston, in an attack for the U.S. on this night against Costa Rica – it was always going to be difficult for the United States to break down the Costa Rican midfield and their back line. Navas was particularly good in goal, making a pair of really, really good saves to keep this match 1-0 in favor of the Costa Ricans when it very easily could have been 1-1. And that probably changes the entire complexion of the final half an hour of this. But it just felt like the U.S. were lacking that bit of quality in attack. And I think for the first time in a United States shirt, we saw Christian Pulisic really struggle. Um, he was... Played physically all night. Costa Rica always had a body, if not two, running up against him, running up on him. Uh, he suffered a lot of fouls that were fairly given. Uh, suffered a lot of physical fouls that were fairly given. And just was unable to find space on this evening. And the lack of space for Pulisic really kind of manifested itself in that there really wasn't good service to Altidore and to Wood up top. And the United States just really struggled to create chances. And on the few occasions that they did create chances... They found themselves up against a goalkeeper that was incredibly difficult to beat.
2: You know, I, I have to completely agree with that. Pulisic, uh was for sure being targeted throughout this match because, uh, I mean, Costa Rica definitely did their homework. That uh, especially lately, really, a lot of the service is being played through Pulisic. Uh It would have been nice to maybe have someone like Paul Ariola or I don't even want to say Jordan Morse, but uh, having some having some speed on the wings. Uh, would free up Christian Pulisic to to be more of that playmaker to uh, to dictate that play to to give that service to uh, to Josie Altidore, who uh, in my opinion he he struggled throughout. But uh, I mean, you can't necessarily blame him if he's not getting the proper service.
1: Yeah, and adding on that, Darlington Nagby really, you know, isn't his is his best when he's in in the center of the park. I think he's better. Su- when he's out on the left, and Fabian Johnson was playing left mid, and it he didn't have as much pace as Nagby did, and and also, you know, maybe Bedoya or Acosta should have played alongside Bradley, but it's hard to say. I think U.S. right now is lacking a, a good central midfield partner for Bradley, and, and it's not exactly sure who's going to step in. Jermaine Jones is thirty six.
0: You know, who's going to be that guy that, that can play alongside him? And with Fabian Johnson, we've seen that he's he's not really match fit at this point. He's not been getting games at the club level, and this maybe looked like it was just a bit too far for him to be expected to come out and to play a full 90 against Costa Rica. And I think he was taken advantage of, at least at a couple points. The game plan for Costa Rica, Preston, it has to be complemented. They knew exactly what they wanted to do coming into Red Bull Arena. They absorbed pressure early. They struck out, got an early goal, and then they sat back and they defended and then they killed it off late with a counter. And I think it really shows that Costa Rica are one of the better teams in CONCACAF. And there wasn't really any question about this, but they really showed why that is. You know, they showed up to Red Bull Arena with a plan and they executed it. It's not many teams that the U.S. struggles to break down, especially in these CONCACAF matches at home. We saw them put six past Honduras earlier this year. They put two past Trinidad and Tobago. But they were unable to break down Costa Rica because that defensive shape is so strong.
1: Yeah, and I think adding on that, you know, Costa Rica had two of their best players injured uh, you know, Campbell Campbell is out, and I, I'm missing the name of uh one of their their outside backs that's that's been hurt. And they also had an outside back suspended who got a red card against Trinidad and Tobago. Their really only pure creator in the middle was Brian Ruiz, and he managed to burn the U.S. defense twice. And Urania only needed two chances. I I, I agree with you also. Just a really disciplined Costa Rican side, and you know I don't want to talk. I don't want to speculate too much, but CONCACAF is just improving as a whole. You know, there there there's not going to be as many easy games as there were. I think by the time you get to the hex, you look at you know, obviously we know Mexico is always tough, but in my mind, Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama, those are three tough teams you don't want to play. I think CONCACAF on the on the whole is improving, and and it's a good sign for the continent.
2: I, I just want to echo that. I mean, uh, it's it definitely is. I mean, having I mean, having someone like kaylor Navas, who is the goalkeeper for Real Madrid, uh, Brian Ruiz, as you mentioned, is a fantastic player for Costa Rica, um, Honduras. I mean, they they have a lot of talent that's based in the MLS, which is a growing league as well. Uh, who will I mean, we'll end up touching quite a bit on Honduras in a bit, but even they're they're making a very strong shout to make it into the World Cup, and uh, I mean, it's showing that whenever this World Cup expansion does happen eight years from now. Uh, CONCACAF is actually deserving of their six or so spots that they're that they're going to be getting.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, a team that's not in the hex, Jamaica, really excited to see them too. In you know, possibly a World Cup role, but just deeper into qualifying because they showed us how fun they can be at the Gold Cup too. I think you know CONCACAF doing doing well
0: there consecutive gold cup finals for jamaica as you mentioned in 2015 against mexico and then this past summer against the united states and that's a team that failed to qualify for the hex here in CONCACAF. Preston, president i think six spots for CONCACAF may still be a bit too far but obviously with the the 48 team expansion uh, the spots have to go somewhere but i do agree with the yeah. overall point that both of you all are making that uh, this is a region that is significantly stronger than in years past in that not that the teams are all excessively better, but that the teams at the bottom have certainly picked up their levels. And I think that was exemplified in the last Gold Cup. Uh, Traditionally, the Gold Cup group stage has been just a walk in the park for the United States. And it was not that against the three teams that they faced this past summer. And that the level of this continent as a whole is rising, albeit slowly, but is getting to the point that easy matches at home for the United States may be a thing of the past, and it just... And we've always seen the United States struggle, even with CONCACAF was a, was a poor region. We've seen them really struggle on the road when they go down to Central America. And admit, I think it really illustrates this point that the United States has to protect their home matches, and they haven't been able to do that in the Hex. They lost to Mexico. They lost to Costa Rica. And that's part of the reason why they're in the situation that they're in qualifying, is that when you don't defend your home pitch and you don't get three points all the time at home, and then you fail to get good results away from home, you end up struggling.
1: Yeah, I think earlier in previous cycles, there was always some room for error. Even if you did drop a match at home, you told yourself, well, we can go to Honduras and get a result. They were three one-and-one at the Estadio Olimpico when they went down there before that. You know, they had some good results in Panama, and now you're realizing, you know, a road trip to Central America is really hard. All of those places are tough to play at, and then you add on top of it, teams that come to the U.S. have a game plan. They know they're going to sit in deep. They know they're going to, you know, they're going to be organized, and you have to find a way to, to to break them down. And you're right, Austin. You just can't be dropping points at home when really it's it's it. I don't want to say bloodbath. The U.S. is still a power in Concacaf, but the level of competition is higher. You got to take care of business at home. That's how you qualify, and I agree. Not doing that is exactly why the U.S. finds themselves where they're at right now.
2: To bounce to bounce off of that, I mean, there's so much of an emphasis leading up into this game, uh, so much marketing, so much publicity about this being the first competitive game for the United States to be played in the New York Metro area. I, I'm curious well, I, part of me wonders why it's taken so long for the U.S. to go to New York. Uh, even, even against Costa Rica, because I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a high Costa Rican population in in the New York metro area. I I could be completely wrong on that.
1: I I think you're right. Yeah, you're correct. I think, (laughs) I think part of it is, sorry, Austin, I think you might be saying the same thing I'm saying is that the reason why they've stayed away there for so long is because it's, it's hard to get a really good U S crowd in that New York region. It's just really diverse.
0: Exactly the point that I was going to make. You see why they maybe shied away from it in that it was not a 100% pro-U.S. crowd. I don't think it's fair to say that it was a 50-50 crowd either. It was probably uh, along the lines of 70-30, 75-25 in favor of United States supporters. Uh, but when you allow the opposition to play as Costa Rica did, that 25% can certainly seem like a lot more do you question the decision to play the match at Red Bull Arena at all, Preston? Knowing that you're giving up at least something in terms of home support.
2: You know, part of me questions it. Well, I mean, I question the excuse of of not of, of not going there because of because of the diversity. Because you, if you go to a lot of these southern states, like yeah, I mean, Dallas, as an example, Houston, Los Angeles, there's there's a large Hispanic population and there's been quite a bit of CONCACAF matches played in the Southern half of the United States. So it's a little bit unfair to say that they didn't go up there solely because of the diversity issue. I was, I mean, I'm I'm saying that I I don't think that's a legitimate reason for, uh, for them not going to New York for a long time, whenever you're more likely going to get outnumbered pretty significantly whenever you do go to a Southern city.
1: Yeah, I, I want to agree with you, Preston. It doesn't make sense because these Southern cities clearly have large Hispanic populations. And we've seen, you know, the U.S. played the Rose Bowl at the Rose Bowl. They've played in Dallas and there, there's been large Hispanic crowds there. And I think it does make it interesting. And the more you think about it, you start getting into these really interesting discussions. Like if the U.S. wants to have only pro US crowds and you think about some of the cities that would be best for that you know you start kind of getting to some political philosophical arguments about where should the US even play ever right does does every US game need to be in Columbus we know that Columbus is a great area but what does that say about America right i i don't know if i'm overstepping our lines here as a soccer discussion but it's really interesting where the US chooses these home matches
2: well i mean it also goes into the debate of does the United States need like their own national stadium like Estadio Azteca or Wembley or I mean so many well many countries have a national stadium where you play all of your national games and you're gonna you're for sure gonna get a pro home team crowd whenever you're playing in your in your national stadium I really do think that Columbus has the track record of a pro US crowd you have, very positive results coming out of Columbus it would make sense to have your quote unquote national stadium in Columbus
1: I, I agree with you I think it'll be interesting to see what US does in Austin you know you and I actually talked about this the other day off the record if the US has to play uh, a two-legged qualifier against the fifth place team from Asia which I believe we
0: know now is Syria is that is that right Syria or Australia those two Syria. teams will play a playoff in October. And then the fourth-place team from CONCACAF will face the fifth-place team from Asia in a two-legged home-and-home playoff with a spot in the World Cup on the line. Correct. And that would... I mean, the U.S. doesn't want to get there, but let's be honest, it's a possibility. If that happens,
1: it's going to be really interesting and cool, in a way, to see where the U.S. picks for for
0: that that home leg. Yeah, you and I did have that conversation. um, And it would be... there are a lot of levels that would go into that, especially considering... Travel should that team be Australia, or even if that team is Syria, the odds would be that that home leg for Syria might be in Malaysia, um, which would maybe put a West Coast city into the top for the United States. It would be very, very interesting. And as it stands, um, that's currently where the U.S. is at in the CONCACAF table, fourth place on nine points, one behind third place Panama. So, following this result against Costa Rica, we'll move on to the United States' second match from this window. That was a one-one draw against Honduras. Preston, I'll start with you on this match. For about 84 minutes, it looked like this window was going to be an absolute disaster for the United States. They had lost at home to Costa Rica. They were really, really struggling to find any sort of foothold against Honduras. And then Christian Pulisic won a foul. Kellen Acosta took a free kick that was saved well. And the United States was able to scramble a goal home and salvage an absolutely vital point against the Hondurans. That keeps the United States ahead of Honduras in the table. They're both equal on nine points, but in large part by virtue of the United States' 6-0 home win against Honduras, they are up plus one to negative seven in goal differential. It's really hard to overstate how massive this point could end up being for the United States.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, you got to give massive credit to Bobby Wood, the Hawaiian Messi for having that kind of composure uh, and especially being able to come off the bench and make that kind of impact. I mean, especially early on in his international career, you saw Bobby Wood coming off the bench quite a bit and providing those vital goals. And this was honestly, this is probably his biggest goal in his career because it's, it's kept the United States' world cup hopes alive. You know, Honduras, they sat deep. They came in with that, with that game plan is they wanted to uh, to at least get a point and thanks to uh some poor defending and really some poor goalkeeping as well from brad guzan honduras nearly got away with a massive upset to put the united states in a very difficult position to qualify for the world
0: cup and admit the big question mark as we said coming out of costa rica was the fact that the United States backline performed so poorly. And uh, Bruce Arena was not shy of making changes. He actually made seven changes from the starting 11 that faced Costa Rica. A lot of MLS players coming into the squad. In fact, the entirety of the starting 11 minus Pulisic and Omar Gonzalez were MLS-based players. Gonzalez, of course, playing in Mexico means that 10 of the 11 are CONCACAF-based players. The backline was completely remodeled with Somehow, Graham Zusi, the only holdover at right back. DeMarcus Beasley, who was gunning to make a fifth World Cup appearance, came in at left back. Beasler and Gonzalez formed the center defense pairing, and Guzan, as we saw in the June window, replaced Howard in, in goal. And I don't know that the changes were all that successful for the United States, admit, because the back line still looked fairly weak against the Hondurans.
1: Well, I think the problem is they dropped Cameron, who's the best center back they have that's not John Brooks, and they left it Zussi, who again, is a retributed right back. And, you know, Demarcus Beasley, you know, I, I love Demarcus Beasley's career. You know, he's a great player. But at this point, he's just not going to cut it. You know, you could have, why didn't you leave in Villa Fania? Was, was their conditioning as an issue? Was was Fabian Johnson also? You mentioned Austin. He didn't look fit. I, I agree with you. This is a problem. And, you know, DeAndre Yedlin needs to get healthy. You know, we need to see, you know, Timmy Chandler, what's, what's you know, he hasn't really been in the squad for a while. So the U.S. has to solve that problem, and you know the defense didn't look better. I think Cameron and Gonzalez is probably your your best pairing without without John Brooks. And then you know offensively, uh, it, it, that's what happens when Altidore has to miss a game. You know Altidore is really important. I thought Wood was was fine, and you know he saved himself with that goal. Morris Morris was fine. He runs he ran the channels hard, but. You just lack creativity. There's there's lacking of an, more than one or two playmakers. You know Pulisic can do it. Nagby's fine. I, I, I like his game, especially when he's out wide. But against a set-in team, the U.S. has proved time and time again, right now they don't
0: have the juice to score consistently. And Preston, for the second straight match, I think we saw Pulisic just really ineffective for the United States. Honduras clearly made that a part of their game plan. They sought to frustrate him. They were physical, once again, just like Costa Rica was. And Pulisic really just was unable to find that space to work, and that really left the United States largely devoid of service and probably, in the end, quite fortunate to be able to escape with a point. Personally, I think
2: the, I think the issue with Pulisic's frustration was, I mean, A, that he was definitely being targeted. I mean, any time that he had the ball, there were two or three Hondurans on him. But he was also playing out wide. Uh, whenever Paul Areola and Jordan Morris came in, uh, freed up the wings and allowed him to play centrally. And that was never really we saw the most. We saw the most out of him then because he was he was actually freed up and able to be that aggressive player that he was. But I mean, for 80 minutes of the game, he had a five out of ten performance. Uh, he wasn't being, like whenever he did have the ball. He wasn't looking up. He wasn't looking at the players that were around him. Uh, he lost possession way too many times. And I, I personally felt that he should have gotten subbed in the 60th minute because he did not He did not do well. And, I mean, he's still, at the end of the day, we need to remember that Pulisic is 18 years old. He's just a kid and is really in his, what, second full season as a professional. And, I mean, he's he's heavily rotated because he's in one of the best teams in Europe it's not like he's getting loads of playing time with that loads of experience so i I think arena needs to be careful i mean obviously that these are vital world cup qualifying matches but if you're if one of your really strong young players is struggling you don't want to you don't want to ruin that confidence if he has two successive bad games
0: and admit he just looked frustrated that was kind of my biggest takeaway it kind of looked like yeah. he had never played in this sort of environment before. And all of the very conca coffee, uh, Central American, South American moves that Honduras sought to pull out when they had that one no lead of just the blatant time wasting, uh, the goalie Lopez going down, receiving treatment, having center backs take goal kicks, just all of that. It just looked like Pulisic. It just got on his nerves and he just wasn't maybe quite prepared to be able to deal with that. I I
1: agree with you, Austin. I think, you know, it's really a world apart from what he's used to. He plays on a perfectly manicured pitch all the time. I mean, I'm sure a lot of players expect that, but you know that's not what you're going to get. He plays in in Germany, which I'm not saying they're – it's just a different style. It's physical over there, but not like – no one's hacking him in the back every time his back is to goal. When a team has a lead, like, yes, you want to see out that lead, but you're not really going to go that extreme measure – just that cagey nature that, you know, CONCACAF, Central American, South American cotton ball sides have. And it's a learning experience because that's what he's going to have to deal with if he wants to get better. And I'm sure it's not fun. No, it's not fun seeing the other team, you know, writhe on the floor, kick the ball out of the play, take forever. But do the, they go the extra mile to win, you know, and there's something to be learned in that. And there's also just, you got to get a thicker skin, and he's 18, and, and it comes with that. And I think one of the big themes I think we're all saying here is that it's a bit unfair the weight we've placed on him to, to be the singular playmaking savior. Now part of that is what Brutus Serena asks him to do tactically, which might be too much, but also we have to cut him a break. And I think he'll be fine, but it'd be great for him to have more playing time, and he just needs to see more of you know what it's like against... content cap team that really really does not want you to win and
0: it's just it's just the way that it's gone about that is as you said just a very different style than anything that Pulisic has probably seen uh Preston at the end of the day the performance was poor for the United States I don't think anyone would would argue anything otherwise uh but the point is probably the most important thing that happened from this match and at the end of it I think Bruce Arita and company have to be content because it's probably a point that they didn't deserve, but it was a point that they've gotten. And as we'll talk about here in a second, it's a point that probably changes the complexion of this World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, let's say that Wood didn't get that goal. The uh, U.S. would be sitting in fifth right now uh, with a massive uphill, um, a massive hill to climb. And, I mean, having Panama... And Trinidad and Tobago left. Uh, I believe Honduras has uh, Costa Rica and Mexico. Mexico. Mexico, yeah. So, obviously, like, definitely, the US would have on paper what is an easier road uh, to see out this hex. But with the way that uh, the United States has, has been playing, and honestly, I don't think Arena is uh, tactically telling these players that you need to be playing in a high-tempo, high-press mentality. Uh, arena's players like to sit back and uh, play play a little bit more so on the back foot, it's, it, it seems. So I, I, wonder, I, really, I really wonder how the U.S. is going to fare against, against these two teams that are more than likely going to sit back, because uh, Trinidad and Tobago, they have nothing to play for. Panama, they're gonna, they're in, they're right there in that race to see who's gonna get that
1: that, uh, that Panama Panama match is like the match, you know. They're both in the thick of it.
2: Exactly. So, I really hope that Arena is very strategic with who he calls up because you're gonna need you're gonna need physical players. Panama is gonna play a whole lot like Honduras. They're gonna sit deep. They're gonna play dirty, and they're gonna play physically. So. Josie Outdoor has to start in that game. In my opinion, I feel like that game against Honduras, that was a perfect Josie outdoor game. He is going to be just as physical as those Honduran defenders. And why he didn't start is beyond me.
0: He was suspended for the Honduras He was matches. suspended. Yes. That makes a lot more sense yeah. then. So he picked up the He uh... got that
1: yellow card accumulation, which is way too easy to get in the World Cup qualification.
0: Yeah, so the the yellow card that he picked up, kind of getting involved in a little bit of afters against Costa Rica, cost him the spot in the starting 11 against Honduras, and as you said, Preston, it was probably a match that would have been perfectly suited for him. But guys, let's take a look at the overall CONCACAF table before we do get into those final two matches for the U.S. Mexico topped the table with 18 points, already bound for Russia. Costa Rica on 15 are just about there. Panama in third place have 10 the United States have nine in fourth, which is that playoff spot. And Honduras is in fifth with on nine as well, but with a negative seven goal differential means that more likely than not, they will need to finish ahead of the United States on points. Trinidad and Tobago pop, prop up the table in sixth on three points and would need a miracle to make the playoff at this point. Final two matches for the United States home against Panama in Orlando and then away to a Trinidad and Tobago team that will probably already be eliminated. Panama have the United States, of course, away, and Costa Rica at home. Honduras will go away to Costa Rica and home to Mexico. Looking at that Panama match, Amit, you kind of said it earlier, that seems like that is the match to the United States. Three points there, and they are probably put themselves in good enough shape that a draw might just be enough against Trinidad and Tobago on the final match day.
1: Yeah, this is the match they need to win, and they're at home, right?
0: Yes, yeah, in Orlando. Yeah, yeah,
1: and you know that helps them. And you're at home; you need to get these three points. And we know Panama is very good, but they're on the road, so they're gonna sit in and make the U.S. Uh, come attack them. You know, all hands on deck, right? It doesn't get any bigger than this. You hope for good health heading into this, and you just need your A game. I think that that's what it comes down to.
2: You know, I'm going to, I'm going to criticize the U S here, uh, going back to, uh, our debate earlier about stadium location, Orlando. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that Orlando has a very similar climate to a lot of Panama. It's a very tropical. Ah, yes.
1: I love bringing the climate in. This is pressing. This is what we needed. This is what we need. (laughs)
2: Like, I feel like that going to a, I feel like going to a, a much different climate maybe like a seattle or a portland would be uh, a much a much more difficult climate for uh panama to play in. especially uh you're getting into early october it's going to start cooling off uh heck maybe i say we
1: we put them place. at the league say what send, send them to philly put them at the league
2: philly would be a great option yeah but i mean <laughs> yeah, get, them into an, get them into a climate where it's where it's actually starting to get cold and it, it may throw Panama off a of bit because I feel like that if you're going to be playing Orlando, I granted I get it. Orlando has a brand new stadium that is very nice, and it's M- it's MLS's baby because you have the purple wall. Mm. But you are you are putting you're giving a great location on a silver platter to Panama. You could have gone with most other cities in the United States, and you could say that. Uh, Climate-wise, you know, the U.S. is going to have an advantage, especially with our, Euro- with our European-based players uh, going into England and to Germany, uh, where it's already significantly cooling off. Uh, they're going to have to face a pretty extreme climate change, which may throw them off.
0: Kind of feels All like right. this is maybe a moment that's a bit too big to be playing the politics of giving a city a World Cup qualifier simply because they might have that new MLS stadium.
1: As far as what yeah. you expect
0: to see on the pitch, Amid? Also, I
1: want to I want to add one more thing to that train of thought. I think part of it is that did when they were scheduling this game, did they think this would be you know we the biggest game of the World Cup qualifying cycle? Probably
0: not, right? I think the expectation I th- would have been yeah, that it was I think, done and dusted or just about there by this point.
1: Yeah, and I think if they knew that going in, they definitely would have taken some more thought going into it but go ahead with the rest of your question
0: yeah so as far as what you expect to see on the pitch in this match between the united states and panama preston probably hit it spot on earlier the panamanians will sit deep they'll look to counter they have some pacey wing players some dangerous forward players uh the past few times that these two teams have played it's ended in a 1-1 draw it ended in a 1-1 draw at the gold cup it ended in a 1-1 draw at the 2015 gold cup these two teams drew 1-1 in Panama earlier in this qualification cycle. And that would be a result that would certainly please the Panamanians because they would reign ahead of the United States in the table and in that third-place World Cup qualifying spot, more likely than not. So will Panama, you think, approach this to play for that draw, that point?
1: I don't think Panama's going to play for the draw. I think they, they'll they play for the win. Now, it'll be conservative, but, you know, they're confident. They've seen that the U.S. is vulnerable and they're for the taking. So I don't think they're going to settle for it. But yes, you're right. A, a, a draw is a, is a great result for them. And you know, if the, the longer that match goes on, the, the happier they are just to sit and take those points. And again, we, we've said it multiple times. They're just going to sit and defend deep and make the U.S. earn it.
0: Preston, how important will an early goal be for the United States in that match? A goal in the first 15 or 20 minutes could really erase some of the pressure and maybe allow that match to open up a little bit. Oh, it'd be vital. I mean...
2: Uh, I don't think the U.S. has taken an early lead since probably the Gold Cup. So it's, it's absolutely necessary for the United States to uh, get that early lead because, frankly, their confidence is low right now. Uh, you're coming off of a really poor uh, World Cup qualifying window where you lose to pr- probably your biggest competition aside from Mexico at the moment uh, in a pretty humiliating fashion. And barely scraping by against a Honduras team that you absolutely obliterated uh, several months prior. So you're going to need to get that early goal. And thankfully, Josie will be back from that suspension. So th- like, not, not to beat a dead horse, but you're going to need physical players in this lineup. And this may be a little bit controversial because Pulisic is United States' golden child but he may be a little bit more of an impact player off the bench for this game.
0: Certainly could be intriguing to see what the lineup decisions go with Bruce Arena. Quickly on that match against Trinidad and Tobago, at this point, it's a little bit tough to project what that match will be because so much will depend on what happens on the first match day in CONCACAF, whether the United States will need a point from that trip, whether they'll need all three. What do you kind of expect to see from that match? What do you think the United States will be needing? And what do you think they should feel capable of getting? As we've seen in CONCACAF, anything can happen on the last match day. That's what happened in 2014 when Mexico backed their way into the playoff spot. The United States could be in a similar position to that. Or they could be in a situation where they only need a point to ensure that they go through to the World Cup.
1: You know, whatever the situation is, the expectation has to be to get three points. Because they're the cellar dwellers of the hex. But, as you said, Austin, anything can happen and it's an away trip nothing is easy uh, there are no easy away trips in Concord calf anymore they still have to get three points and if they need the three points I think they'll be up to it you know if they if they're at a point where it's an easy game maybe they'll they'll, they'll rest a little I don't know they just they they'll do whatever
0: it takes to avoid
1: that playoff they
0: really don't want to be there Preston for you would you agree with that that whatever the United States will need they should feel like they're able to get obviously, By that point, Trinidad and Tobago will probably be eliminated. It is not one of the more difficult road trips. The United States has traditionally performed better in the Caribbean than they have in Central America. Do you like their chances that regardless of what happens against Panama, they can go down to Trinidad and and get whatever result they'll end up needing on that final match day?
2: Oh, definitely. I think, well, at least I would hope that regardless of what happens in Panama, um, this will be... I mean, I really, I, I think that Arena is looking at this as two must-win games because if uh, the U.S. wants to get that automatic qualification spot, because I, I mean, I, I believe that U.S. would want to avoid that playoff by any means possible. So, I feel like that Arena is probably going to pick the strongest lineup possible and avoid any of this experimental stuff that he's been doing. And I, I feel like that, regardless of what happens in Panama, he's going to field as strong of a lineup as possible in Trinidad and Tobago. And even if they already have qualified or if they're they're in that third place spot uh, come the end of uh, the Panama game, I feel like that arena will probably field as strong of a lineup as possible, uh, more, so a, more so as a confidence booster uh, because Trinidad and Tobago have absolutely nothing to play for other than just uh, pride for themselves. Uh, so I feel like that if, the U.S. can get three or four past Trinidad and Tobago, that they'll be going into to the several months off before the, before the warm-up matches leading up to the World Cup. Uh, I feel like that they will be going out on a high if they can get three or four past Trinidad and Tobago.
0: What it looks like right now is four points from these final two matches for the United States should secure them a spot in at least fourth place depending the order of those points. But a win against Panama and a draw against Trinidad and Tobago might just be enough to get them third place. Again, a lot of different permutations with those teams. Guys, final question before we wrap this up. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you to make some predictions. Mexico and Costa Rica, we know, are World Cup bound. You've got three teams, Panama, the United States, and Honduras. One of them will be going to the World Cup straight. One of them will be going to the playoff against Australia or Syria. And one of them will be missing out altogether What are your predictions? Amit, I will come to you first. Panama, the United States, and Honduras. Who ends this hex where?
1: U.S. in third. Panama in fourth. Has to play a tough playoff. And then Honduras sadly will miss it just because I think they've got two tough games left.
0: And that goal differential certainly does them no favors. Uh, The United States pretty much has an extra point on Honduras with that goal differential where it's at. Preston, what about for you?
2: I mean, I'd agree with that lineup. Uh, U.S. is going to get third. Panama will get fourth. Honduras will miss out. But unfortunately, I don't think Panama will win the playoff either way. Uh, if Australia wins, they're a strong team. But if Syria, if Syria uh, wins that playoff, uh, they have they have that fighting spirit right now, and uh, it's it's been very encouraging to see how uh, how they've been able to make make that impact late in the game. And uh, you know, I like I'd like to see uh, Syria qualify for the World Cup. Uh, so I think Panama will ultimately end up missing out.
0: The Syrian story has certainly been quite intriguing to follow. I think the United States will get a point against Panama, and then will do enough against Trinidad and Tobago to finish in fourth, whatever that ends up being. For me, Panama are going to make the World Cup in third, the United States in fourth. Honduras have done themselves no favors with their goal differential and the remaining schedule. I think they will miss out in fifth, and good riddance too, because they didn't contribute anything to the last two World Cups anyway. And then I think the United States will probably. They've never won
1: a point at any World Cup. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we don't even need them there. Uh, And I think the United States will uh, do enough in that playoff, regardless of whether it is Australia or Syria. But I think either would be fascinating matchups. And it would be certainly a pressure packed week in November for the United States. But listen, guys, that has wrapped up our time for the evening. Before we do close out, Want to give the listeners a chance to figure out where they can follow you guys on social media, Preston? Where can the listeners find you on social media, and is there anything that you would like to plug?
2: Yeah, you can give me a follow on Twitter at pw116. Uh, you can also check out my uh, work on uh, SoundCloud and All In Sports Talk uh, through this show, along with my SC Dow specific show FCD Talk. Uh, you can uh, give them a follow at All In Sports Talk and. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm about to start writing again for Big D Soccer, uh, the SB Nation affiliate for FC Dallas. uh, So be on the lookout for that.
0: And Amit, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at AmitKMalik.
1: It's my name with my middle initial. You can spell it great. If not, I'm sure you'll find it in the tweet. Um, I uh, tweet a lot about Philadelphia sports, mostly about Northwestern sports. Uh, Some bad takes, but if you're interested in my other podcasts about Northwestern sports, feel free to follow me there. And any time I have takes about soccer, they're usually good ones. So follow
0: me for that. I disagree with that, but we can have that discussion once we go off air. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, The focus is usually on Brazilian and South American football. But as I said, a chance to kind of migrate the interests up north, seeing as... uh, the whole country was invested in these two world cup qualifiers and i was able to partake a little bit so happy to be on the show with you guys i'm sure that you all will be recapping these final matches in Concacaf when they do happen in october and we'll probably be talking a little mls before then but listen that's all that we have for this week's show thank you so much for listening and be sure to follow the world football index on twitter and all the other social media channels to stay up to date on everything that we are putting out thanks very much and have a good one